0: This is the Fiction Podcast from The New Yorker magazine. I'm Deborah Treisman, Fiction Editor at The New Yorker. For our first podcast, we asked novelist and contributor Richard Ford to choose a story from The New Yorker archives. He chose a very short story by John Cheever called Reunion. It was first published in the October 27, 1962 issue of The New Yorker. We asked Richard why he chose this story.
1: It's such a perfect specimen of a short story, in a sense, by being, in my view, so economical and yet has so much packed into itself that I just loved it for that alone. But also, what Cheever's story made clear to me was that if you set something in the, in the concourse of Grand Central Station, you could plausibly have anything happen, any two people meet.
0: Not only did we ask Richard to choose a story, he's also going to read it for us. We'll talk about the story a little bit afterwards. But first, let's hear Richard Ford read John Cheever's short story, Reunion.
1: The last time I saw my father was in Grand Central Station. I was going from my grandmother's in the Adirondacks to a cottage on the Cape that my mother had rented, and I wrote my father that I would be in New York between trains for an hour and a half and asked if we could have lunch together. His secretary wrote to say he would meet me at the information booth at noon, and at 12 o'clock sharp, I saw him coming through the crowd. He was a stranger to me. My mother divorced him three years ago, and I hadn't been with him since, but as soon as I saw him, I felt that he was my father, my flesh and blood, my future, and my doom. I knew that when I was grown, I would be something like him. I would have to plan my campaigns within his limitations. He was a big, good-looking man, and I was terribly happy to see him again. He struck me on the back and shook my hand. "'Hi, Charlie,' he said.' Hi, boy, I'd like to take you up to my club, but it's in the 60s, and if you have to catch an early train, I guess we'd better get something to eat around here. He put his arm around me, and I smelled my father the way my mother sniffs a rose. It was a rich compound of whiskey, aftershave lotion, shoe polish, woolens, and the rankness of a mature male. I hoped that someone would see us together. I wished that we could be photographed. I wanted some record of our having been together. We went out of the station and up a side street to a restaurant. It was still early and the place was empty. The bartender was quarreling with a delivery boy, and there was one very old waiter in a red coat down by the kitchen door. We sat down, and my father hailed the waiter in a loud voice. Kellner! he shouted. Garcon! camerieri! you! His boisterousness in the empty restaurant seemed out of place. ''Could we have a little service here?'' he shouted. ''Chop, chop!'' Then he clapped his hands. This caught the waiter's attention, and he shuffled over to our table. ''Were you clapping your hands at me?'' he asked. ''Calm down, calm down, sommelier,'' my father said. ''If it isn't too much to ask of you, if it wouldn't be too much above and beyond the call of duty, we would like a couple of beef-eater Gibsons.'' ''I don't like to be clapped at,'' the waiter said.'' I should have brought my whistle, my father said. I have a whistle that is audible only to the ears of old waiters. Now, take out your little pad and your little pencil and see if you can get this straight. Two Beefeater Gibsons. Repeat after me. Two Beefeater Gibsons. I think you'd better go somewhere else, the waiter said quietly. That, my father said, is one of the most brilliant suggestions I've ever heard. Come on, Charlie, let's get the hell out of here. I followed my father out of that restaurant into another. He was not so boisterous this time. Our drinks came, and he cross-questioned me about the baseball season. Then he struck the edge of his empty glass with his knife and began shouting again, Garcon, Kellner, Camerieri, you, could we trouble you to bring us two more of the same? How old is the boy? The waiter asked. That, my father said, is none of your goddamn business. I'm sorry, sir, the waiter said but I won't serve the boy another drink. Well, I have some news for you, my father said. I have some very interesting news for you. This doesn't happen to be the only restaurant in New York. They've opened another on the corner. Come on, Charlie. He paid the bill, and I followed him out of that restaurant into another. Here, the waiters wore pink jackets like hunting coats, and there was a lot of horse tack on the walls. We sat down. And my father began to shout again, "'Master of the hounds, "'Tally-ho, and all that sort of thing. "'We'd like a little something "'in the way of a stirrup cup, "'namely, two Bibson Geefeaters.' Two Bibson Geefeaters?' "'The waiter asked, smiling. "'You know damn well what I want,' "'my father said angrily. "'I want two Beefeater Gibsons "'and make it snappy. "'Things have changed in jolly old England, "'so my friend the Duke tells me. "'Let's see what England can produce "'in the way of a cocktail.' "'This isn't England.' the waiter said. Don't argue with me, my father said. Just do as you're told. I just thought you might like to know where you are, the waiter said. If there's one thing I cannot tolerate, my father said, it is an impudent domestic. Come on, Charlie. The fourth place we went to was Italian. Buongiorno, my father said. Per favore, possiamo avere due cocktail americani, forti molto gin, poco vermouth. I don't understand Italian, the waiter said. Oh, come off it, my father said. You understand Italian, and you know damn well you do. Vogliamo due cocktail americani, subito. The waiter left us and spoke with the captain, who came over to our table and said, I'm sorry, sir, but this table is reserved. All right, my father said, get us another table. All the tables are reserved, the captain said. I get it, my father said. You don't desire our patronage, is that it? Well, the hell with you then. Vada al Let's go, Charlie. I have to get my train, I said. I'm sorry, Sonny, my father said. I'm terribly sorry. He put his arm around me and pressed me against him. I'll walk you back to the station, if there'd only been time to go up to my club. That's all right, Daddy, I said. I'll get you a paper, he said. I'll get you a paper to read on the train. Then he went up to a newsstand and said, Kind sir... Will you be good enough to favor me with one of your goddamn no-good ten-cent afternoon papers? The clerk turned away from him and stared at a magazine cover. Is it asking too much, kind sir, my father said? Is it asking too much for you to sell me one of your disgusting specimens of yellow journalism? I have to go, Daddy, I said. It's late. Now, just wait a second, Sonny, he said. Just wait a second. I want to get a rise out of this chap. Goodbye, Daddy, I said. And I went down the stairs and got my train, and that was the last time I saw my father.
0: That was Richard Ford reading Reunion by John Cheever, which was originally published in The New Yorker in 1962 and can be found in The Complete New Yorker on DVD and also in the collection The Stories of John Cheever. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker. So, Richard, how many times have you read that story?
1: Oh, i probably read it, oh, 300 times. It was the direct inspiration to a story that I wrote, which the New Yorker published, called, which I called Reunion, just in homage to
0: Right, I was going to ask Cheater. you about that. Yeah. What happened in your story, maybe for people who haven't seen it recently?
1: In my story, a man is walking home at the end of the workday through the station, and he spies the husband of a woman he has had a love affair with and the husband is a man who had cuffed him around and beaten him up and what I made my character do who speaks this story is when he sees this man who he hasn't seen for a long time he unaccountably walks over and says something to him
0: that's a very different kind of reunion very much that your story deals with
1: <laughs> because one of the things that I, that I used to do when I was um, reading stories out of my own book A Multitude of Sins was I would read the Cheever story and then I would read my story
0: in public. In public, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: b- both as an homage to Cheever, uh, who somehow must be kept from slipping out of our notice, and also to um, bring attention to how one story can really influence another story. You know, in, in, in American um, critical jurisprudence, influence is thought to be kind of a nasty word. If you haven't... <laughs> if, if you aren't the first person ever to write a story every time you write one, it's somehow, it's somehow not as good as it should be. So I wanted to just show... And, and then after I read the stories, I would talk to the people about it. I wanted to just show how one story can influence another, and at the same time, inspire it.
0: How do the audiences respond?
1: Well, they love the Cheever story. <laughs> <laughs> and then I always tell them how, how brave I am to read my own story after I re- read the <laughs> Cheever story aloud, because mine is not nearly so We Were economical. you reading your reunion yes, with it? it yes, yeah, uh, yeah,
0: I was. I think it's interesting what you said about this story being compact, because... It's probably a thousand words. About. And it has the material of a ten thousand word story in it. And nine thousand words are unspoken. And that's 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 my feeling when I read this or listen to this. We don't know why the parents divorce, we don't know why he hasn't seen the father in three years, why he calls him this time. The fact that all of that is unspoken is what makes this story for me. I don't know if that's
1: Oh, I love that. I, I can't think Cheever thought he was leaving anything out though. When I read that story, I think that Cheever thought he was putting in only the most important bits and all the rest would be subsumed by the instant drama. So I, I, until you said that, never thought of all the things that were left out. I just thought of all the things that were there, which is just two sides of the very same coin.
0: This kind of haiku-like compactness... It's very rare now. I don't know if it was around more when Cheever was writing this kind of story, whether these stories were written, whether it was a sort of existing form that he was working with.
1: It's a quite unusual length for mm-hmm. him to have written in. Most of the stories in the big red book, his, his uh, collected stories, are, are much longer, uh, much more capacious uh, than than this story is. It You know, Cheever published 130 stories in The New Yorker and in a way became one of the early New Yorker writers from the 30s right on down into the into the early 70s, and even while he was alive, began to be taken for granted. And it really wasn't until the middle 70s when his collected stories were published by Knopf that people finally stood back and saw this big red book and thought to themselves, my God, here was a great master.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel for, you know, as a fiction editor, if you get a thousand-word story that works, you're delighted. It, It seems like
1: a story, a perfect little story that he just simply knocked off one day. And it just happened to crystallize as it did. Which isn't to say that after he wrote it and knocked it off, he didn't go back and and scrub it and twist it and squeeze it and do all the things you have to do. But it seems to me to be almost one utterance.
0: Thank you very much, Richard.
1: A real pleasure, Deborah. Thank you.
0: Richard Ford's latest novel is The Lay of the Land, out from Knopf. You can also find his story, Reunion, on the New Yorker website, newyorker.com, as well as on The Complete New Yorker on DVD. You've been listening to the Fiction Podcast from the New Yorker Magazine. I'm Deborah Treisman. Thanks for listening.